talking um, the last couple weeks, last week, and we're going to finish this week, about the fact that in ministry, in life, um, there's so many things that we want to do, and there's so much stuff that we talk about in Scripture that we should be doing, and the message last week is you can't. And the message that Jesus was telling his disciples is you can't. But I can. And so we spent time last week talking through um, some stuff in... um, one of the Gospels, John 15, about, yeah, I'm as bad as Ricky, um, and I already did this once, um, you know, so, so, so we're going we're gonna to continue that, because we talked a little bit last week about abiding and the fact that, that we can't on our own energy do what God wants us to do, but God will and can, through His Holy Spirit, do that work through us. I want to show you a couple things that kind of help set the stage for this morning. Um, you guys know what this is? Yeah, it's a mining town. It's up in Colorado. It's pretty awesome. I think that's um, Marge's favorite uh, mine over there that was, now it stands by itself. Yankee, Yankee boy or Yankee girl. Um, I think there's another picture. Yeah, look at that. It's a, it's, this is southeast Colorado. Is there any more? Is that it? So, so we, we go to Colorado every summer. Um, uh, some friends of hers got us going up there, so we bring our Jeep up there, and we just take our Jeep back into the backcountry, all these trails and stuff, and, and we have to put the thing in four low, and I mean, we get back there. It's not easy to get back there, and then we get back, and we come down this, this steep hill into this valley, and there's this massive stamp mill. I mean, we had to drive four or five miles in four-wheel drive to get there, and there's this big building it's a stamp mill where they, they crush the rock. So the miners are, are up in the top of the mountains. I don't know how they get up there, but there's these holes up in the top of the mountains where these guys are up hauling this stuff out, and then they get it down to the stamp mill, and there's big cast iron stamps that just go... Okay? It's in the middle of nowhere. How, how, do, how do they get it there? And by the way... This is, this, is, this is like elevation maybe 9,000 feet. Do you know what 9,000 feet is in the winter? It's 12 feet under snow. That's what it is. So these guys are mining gold. That's why they're doing it, right? Because, you know, they started here in California and then they found out there were some in Colorado, so they decided to go to Colorado because there was gold there. There was something that was valuable enough that they would go... You know, and, and they didn't just get in a jet, you know, LAX, fly to Denver, we're there. No, they had to figure out how to get from, and some of them from Kansas, to Colorado. This is not an easy thing for them to do in order to get something that was valuable to them. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I want to talk about some stuff this morning that I think is incredibly valuable. And I think if comparatively, these guys are willing to be cold, work hard, maybe have a short life, um, a lot of risk because there was something that was valuable to them and they're willing to do what they needed to do to get what they wanted to get out of these, these mining expeditions. But I think for us, what we have this morning, if we really will mine this, will be just immensely valuable. Jesus said in um, Matthew 6, and you don't need to turn to it, I'll just read it real quick. Matthew 6, 19, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's valuable to you will be demonstrated by how you behave and how you act. He said it uh, again a little bit differently a couple of chapters over in um, um, Matthew 13. He said this, and I thought this, was, this, is, this is a great little verse that he just popped in the middle. He said, he said um, the kingdom of heaven, in Matthew 13, 44, if you're taking notes, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Heaven is like somebody who finds a treasure 
and that treasure is so immensely valuable that, that he buries it again so that he can go and sell everything he has so he can come back and buy that field so he can have that treasure. Jesus said that's what heaven is like. Heaven is so valuable that when people realize how valuable it is that they sell out to heaven. That's, that's what I want us to mind today is that attitude of what it is to really abide in Christ. We talked last Sunday about abiding in Christ and Jesus said in, in um, John 5, 5, he goes, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so he said, you know, there's, we want to bear fruit. But what does Jesus say? You can't. I want to bear fruit. You can't. Apart from me, you can't. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And so I want us to be careful this morning about how we choose to try to bear fruit. I want us to really mind the truths of what God has for us that will allow us to be people who can abide in Him in a powerful way. Because apart from Him, we really can't bear any significant spiritual fruit. We cannot be eternally significant if we aren't plugged into Jesus, if we aren't abiding in Jesus. Because if you recall from last Sunday, we talked about this. Jesus spent three years immersing His disciples in Himself, didn't He? They were with Him 24-7. Everything that they did, He directed. Everything they learned, He taught. Every experience they had, he was a part of. If they went somewhere, he sent them. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him raise the dead. They watched him still the water. They watched him confound Pharisees. They watched him cast out demons. They watched him do all kinds of stuff. But the, the, the problem was is that they were watching him doing this, expecting him to conquer Rome. He was going to be the conquering hero. And now he's coming to him and says, by the way, you guys, I know you've seen me do all this stuff, but I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. What your expectations are isn't God's plan for me. And so he starts telling them, I'm going to leave. And where I'm going, you can't come. What you think I'm going to do isn't going to happen. It's going to blow your guys' mind. You are going to be so bummed, so depressed, so discouraged, so scattered, so fearful. And yet in John 15, he goes, but if you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. And so as we get into John 17, I want to go to one more passage that I really want us to um, take to heart as we go through John um, 17. And we're going to actually um, go through the whole chapter. Um, we actually, you know, Ricky talked about the early service coming in early. We had him come in at 6 so I could get done by 10.30. You guys, we couldn't do that for, so you're just going to be here till 3. So it's okay, right? So in Philippians 2, um, 1 through 11, Paul is talking to the, the Philippian church and he says this, he says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Now listen to this. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want you guys this morning to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? And then he goes on and he describes that. But I, you can read that yourself. I don't even need to go into it. But the key that I want you to understand is as we go through John 17, I want us to be a people who have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Because, I will read a little bit of it, because he says, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Jesus was God. Jesus knew God. Jesus was intimately um, related to God. And as we get into John 17, I want us to have that understanding that as we read John 17 and we read Jesus' relationship with the Father, um, as I've studied this, I just get more and more impressed with Jesus. And, and here, it's just, have you ever been around somebody who just has just fallen in love? I mean, 
They, they just are starting their relationship, and they are, like, enamored with each other, you know? And, and you know, it's like that's all they talk about, right? Oh, but, man, he, he wore the nicest shirt, and, you know, he said this thing, and it was so funny. And then when he went over here, man, and we went and did this, and it was so nice. And, then, and, then it's, and it's like it's, an, it's just always this conversation about this person and how nice they were and how great the conversation was. I mean, Marge and I would spend hours together and then you know what would happen we would drive home and you know what we did we called each other on the phone right and we talked for another four hours you know honey it's like four o'clock in the morning shouldn't we go to bed yeah we should probably go to bed two hours later you know it's six maybe we should probably get some sleep okay you know two hours later said so, well let's get up <laughs> you know it's time to go to work i mean we were so in love that that's all we thought about we were we were totally obsessed with our relationship with each other. We just loved everything about each other. This is God. This is Jesus. Jesus knew God. Jesus knew who God was. Jesus understood God. Jesus had a relationship with God that we couldn't possibly comprehend, but we can learn a little bit of it. So as we're reading this, I want you to really grab hold of how obsessed he is with God. As we read this, if you underline or highlight you're going to run out of ink. But highlight everything where, where Jesus refers to God in this chapter. If he says your, you, father, his, you will have more highlights in this chapter than not highlights. So I'm going to break it into like four parts. We're going to look at four different sections. And I want us to look at four different aspects of Jesus' relationship with the father and I, I want to tie this into how, if we look at how Jesus' relationship with the Father is, we will understand what it means for us to be people who are abiding in Christ. Okay, because if we, if we have a relationship with God the way Jesus had this relationship with God, if we do that and we abide in Christ, we are going to be able to do awesome things. When, then, then what Jesus said, if you, if you ask me anything, I will do it in His name, then it makes sense to us. Because it's much different then sometimes our perspective of what that verse means, because we're not enamored with God, we're not plugged into Jesus, we're immersed in the world. We're immersed in our flesh. And so we're reading Scripture through a worldly perspective and through a fleshly perspective, and it doesn't mean the same thing. Are you with me? So let's look at this. It's John 17, verse 1. The first thing I want us to learn in these, these five verses is just how God is glorified in Jesus. So let's look at this. Jesus spoke these words, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to whom all you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know that you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Was there a few yous in there? Everything that he was, everything that he was about, all that was occurring in his life was all about the Father. It was all about the Father. He knew that apart from God, he could do nothing. Apart from us being plugged into Jesus, we can do nothing. It is all about what God has given, what God has granted, what God has done. And so let's just look at a few of the things that he talks about. First, it says he just started praying. This is pretty cool because John 13, 14, 15, 16, he's telling his disciples, hey, I'm going away, I'm leaving, things that, are, that you think are going to happen aren't going to happen. And then he just starts praying. It doesn't say anywhere that he went off in a closet by himself. His relationship with God was so tight that he just started praying. And I think the disciples were sitting there listening going, wow, this is really good. And it says, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. See, it's God's timing. Again, it's God's timing of, of his purpose. The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. A couple things I want us to see just in this first verse that I think is powerful. One is, is Jesus' relationship with the Father was so tight because, you know, prayer so often for us, and this is the difference. If we are immersed in the world, if we're in the immersed, immersed in the flesh, prayer is about getting God in heaven to do what we want him to do here on earth, right? And so we just pray God a bunch of to-do lists, don't we? 
because we know what God needs to do. We're here. We're immersed in it. But if we're immersed in Christ, if we're abiding in Christ, if we're plugged into Christ, our prayer life becomes, Father, tell me what you want me to do here on earth. Give me direction so that I know how you want me to live here on earth. It's a totally different relationship, isn't it? It's all about what do you want me to do? How do you want me to behave? How can I glorify you? See, when we do things, are we really concerned about whether God gets the glory? Or are we concerned about whether we get our rights? Yeah, we're in America, right? We have our rights, right? We deserve it, right? I tell you, here's, here's, here's how I think. You guys probably don't think this way because you guys are probably way more spiritual than me. But I, but I do this. I go, God, I have worked so hard for this. I mean, I've worked so hard so that I could get this. I deserve, and you can fill in the blanks. I put so much energy into this, Lord, so that I could accomplish this. I did so much so that this could happen in my life. Do you guys ever think that way? It's all about me doing what I did so I can have what I want. Amen? That, that is not Jesus' attitude, is it? Jesus' attitude is all about, God, this is what you've given me. God, this is what you're doing. God, I want you to be glorified in what I'm doing. So what you have given me is to be used by me to glorify your name. You know what I think? What I have is to be used by me to get what I want. So when I'm abiding in Christ, that's a different mindset. When I'm abiding in the flesh, when I'm abiding in the world, that mindset is much different from the mindset we're seeing in Jesus here in John 17. So if we get, if we get our arms around that, it's a huge difference in attitude, isn't it? What, what is mine? Nothing. What can I do? Nothing. Everything comes from the Father. Everything I have is from the Father to be used for His glory. Do I have a right to tell Him how He should use what He, give me, what he gave me for His glory? No, I do not. I have a responsibility to come to Him and find out what He wants me to do with what He's given me to glorify His name. We don't think like that here in America. We need to if we're going to bear much fruit. It's a mindset that is totally different from us. Because Jesus even said this. Let me get back to the right chapter. Jesus says, even as you gave him authority over all flesh to, to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So the authority that Jesus has, the reason that Jesus is calm in the sea, the reason that Jesus is casting out demons, is authority that God gave him. Well, Jesus was with them before the foundation of the earth. But, but Jesus understood how he was to glorify God here on earth. That's the attitude that he wants us to understand and to have as we walk through our, our life, this journey that God has us on. It's to understand that everything we have has been given to us by God. And the eternal life is, we know that he died and he rose again. It's really all about Jesus. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, he says that, um, that this is eternal life, that, may know, that they may know you, the only true God. So his purpose of bringing eternal life is that they would know that God is really the true God. And Jesus knew that. You see, it's really easy to let God be God when we know who God is. Amen? It's not so easy to let God be God if we don't know who God is. See, if we're so immersed in the world and we're so tied up into what we feel, what we see, what we understand, what we can touch, it's really hard to have this eternal, almighty God be the controlling thing in our lives unless we get immersed in who God is. We get immersed, plugged into Christ. And we're going to talk about this, but this first few verses is just amazing to me. And Jesus goes on um, and talks about the works that he's accomplished in verse 4. He goes, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Then he says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory with which I had with you before the world was. You know, the glory that Jesus had with the Father, but the work was, was accomplished. And why did Jesus come? Jesus was on the throne and came down and became a man to accomplish the work that God needed accomplished. And what is that work? 
The work was understanding that we can be saved only by grace. There had to be a price to be paid. Somebody had to pay the price. It had to be a perfect sacrifice, and Jesus became that perfect sacrifice. I've accomplished what you've sent me out to do. I've accomplished what you have called me to do, God. Here's a challenge for us. Jesus did what, what God asked him to do. Jesus hung on the cross. He goes, it is finished. You know, there were people clamoring to have Jesus do all kinds of things, weren't there? And how many times did Jesus say, you know what, that's not God's purpose for me. I'm going over here. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. He did what God had called him to do. And I tell you, if we're plugged in, if we're really plugged into to Jesus and we're abiding in him, we will understand more and more completely what it is that God is calling us to do, not what a bunch of people are calling us to do. Because Jesus, Jesus even said when, when he, was, when he was, was teaching, he said um, in, in Matthew 11, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, when we're plugged into Christ and we're abiding in Christ and we're walking in obedience to him, his yoke is easy. What we're doing, and we talked about this last Sunday, is that, that you don't see the grapes on the vine just grunting to produce fruit. They just do. They're plugged into the vine and they just produce fruit. It's, it's easy. The burden is light. Now, when, when people are, are telling us what to do, man, their yoke is heavy. It's not easy. It's hard. Their burden is not heavy. It's hard. And when we're living for people, it becomes burdensome. But when we're abiding in Christ and everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we're doing is to glorify his name and to understand what he has for us and to do his will, our load is light. Our burden is easy. So we want to glorify him. And as we, as we look at our day and as we walk through our day, the question we should be asking myself, is my passion to glorify Christ? Is what I'm doing right now focused on bringing glory to God? Or is it about me? Is it about me getting my way, doing what I want to do, how I want to do it, where I want to do it? Or is it about me being somebody who just seeks to glorify God and to honor him in what I'm doing and who I am? The only way to do that is to be so obsessed with Jesus that we're immersed in who Jesus is. We're immersed in his nature and in his character. And the exciting thing is, is this isn't just something that we sit in the corner and we just, we just you know, meditate and hum and, you know, talk to ourselves and say, fruit, 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 fruit. This is about being so full of God that he uses us to impact the lives of people because he goes on in the next six verses and he talks about how he equips the disciples in 17, 6 through 12. He talks about what happens in his life because the Father is directing him. The, he's all about the Father. And he says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept my word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and you are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is really some good stuff. So if we're talking about not having to, um, to accomplish things, if we're talking about God being the one who directs and who controls, if we're talking about abiding in Christ and bearing fruit, being nourished by God so that we are being transformed from the inside out. Jesus talks about the fruit of that. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. I have become a living testimony of who you are, God, so that when your men saw me, when people saw me, when people looked at what I was doing and how I was behaving and what, it was, what, I, was, what I was about, they saw you, God. I, you, I was a living manifestation of you here in the world. And, and I, was, I was being um, living out 
you with those people that you gave me. This is, the, this is the awesome part of abiding in Christ and being really plugged into Christ. As one, He does the work in us. So as He does the work in us, we get to be Jesus. We get to reflect Christ. People see Jesus in us. And here's the other thing. is He will take people and He will lead us. Lead them to us. And He will give us words. Jesus says, the words that you have given to me I have given to them. So here's the exciting thing about being somebody who's plugged into Christ. You want to be somebody who changes the world? Here's what you do. You abide in Christ. You get plugged into Christ. You, you, you absorb His Word. You learn what He has to teach you. You spend time relationally with God. This isn't a duty. This isn't a responsibility. This isn't a law. This isn't a rule. You don't have a quiet time for 15 minutes to finish the rule that you have that makes you a more godly person. This is about a relationship with God that we sit down and we, we spend time with them and we say, God, teach me. Help me understand. Change me. And then what happens is God begins to do a transforming work inside of us as we're plugged in, as we're abiding in Him. He starts bringing words into our life. Scripture comes alive to us. He teaches us stuff. And He hides it in our heart. And then what He does is He finds somebody and He brings them to us and says, that word you were studying last week, tell it to this person. Because it was really good. I want this person to hear that. So I'm going to bring them to you so that you can share that. That's the exciting thing. We don't have to work at it. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about God orchestrating what He wants to do and bringing it all together. And all I have to do is remember what He told me. It's not about me, you guys. I don't have to go out and witness all the time. God will bring people to me if I'm a reflection of Him. I don't know about you guys, man. That gets me excited. I don't know if you know I'm pretty excited about this. <laughs> but abiding in Him is so powerful. And he said, he said in verse 9, he goes, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but those whom you have given me, for they're yours. And see, he has been with these disciples for three years. He's saying, God, I want, I want these guys to be protected. I want these guys to understand what it means to, to really be alive in you. Because I've been with them for three years now. Everything that they know, I've taught them. They've been immersed in me. They've just been fed by me, and now I'm going away. And I want them to continue to be immersed in me. I want them to continue to have that experience of the fullness of what it means to walk with me, to watch me, to experience me, to listen to me, to understand what's important. Because what's important to me, and as they see me, they see you, Father. And I want them to continue to see that. And so what, he, what he's been doing for the last three or four chapters is helping the disciples understand that I'm going to go away, but since I'm going away, you are going to have the Holy Spirit that's going to come and be more powerfully impactful in you than even I was when you were with me for those three years. And incidentally, these guys were with Jesus for three years, right? You with me? Did they make mistakes? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus was correcting them all the time. Did they not get it a few times? Yeah, a lot of times. So when we're abiding in Christ and when we're tied into Christ and when we're one with Christ, do you think there are going to be times we're going to mess up? Heck yeah, there is. We're going to. Do you think there's going to be times where we go, I just I have no idea what's going on? Yes, a lot. Does that change who God is? Does that change God's plan? Does that change God's purposes? If we have this attitude in us, which is also in Christ Jesus, and we are constantly coming to God going, I don't get it, Lord, or I'm sorry, I, really, I think I really messed that up. Will you forgive me? The relationship continues to deepen and it continues to grow. Because let's look at this. This is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. I just want to go through some passages in John 14 um, through 16 where Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And I want us to understand the power of what the Holy Spirit is doing um, uh, is, is doing in us. So in John 14, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. See, Jesus is leaving. Holy Spirit will be, with you, will be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. 
See, if we're immersed in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. If we're immersed in the world, we don't. So if we're immersed in the world and we don't have Christ, we can't accomplish anything that's spiritually significant. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be, with, he will be in you. And this is a critical thing. This is the shift that Jesus is making from Old Testament to New Testament. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. The Holy Spirit came upon Elijah. The Holy Spirit came upon Elijah. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul. The Holy Spirit came upon David. And they did mighty things. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson. But then the Holy Spirit left. The Holy Spirit left Saul. David prayed, God, please, I know I made a mistake. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because David knew the power of having the Spirit in him. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit was upon you, now He's going to be in you. And we know in Acts, when the Pentecost happens, and they get filled with the Spirit, and all through the New Testament, what do we hear? So-and-so, full of the Holy Spirit. Peter and James, full of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John, full of the Holy Spirit. Saul, full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us empowers us. That's why we can't. We can't do spiritual stuff, but the Holy Spirit in us can and will. So, that's, that's uh, 14. Then he goes down a couple verses later in verse 25. He says, These things I have spoken to you that while these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But I'm going to be leaving. So, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will ascend in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And we talked a little bit about Jesus saying, the men that you have given me out of the world and the words that you gave me to give to them. That's what happens with the Holy Spirit in us now. He is going to take what we're studying, what we're learning, what He's given us in His Word, and He's going to bring it to our remembrance. Well, I don't, I don't want to go talk to that person because I don't know what to say. Don't worry about it. God does. Just listen. Just be tied into me. And I will bring your, to your remembrance the things that you need to know. Then in, in uh, chapter 15, He talks again about the Holy Spirit in verse 26. It says, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. So again, as the Holy Spirit fills us and he brings people to us out of the world, the Holy Spirit is going to do the testifying. We don't have to worry about what we're going to say. But we do have to worry about whether or not we're abiding in him and whether we're allowing him to fill us and whether we're being nourished by him or not. So it's, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to be the one who works and who does His work in us. And then lastly, in chapter 16, again, He says, but when He, in verse 13, 16, 13, He says, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. So again, it's not about us working harder at what we're doing. It's about us being open to the Spirit and Jesus, knowing that he was going to be leaving, knew that the Spirit would replace all that he was doing with his disciples. And he also understood, and that's why John 15 is so powerful, is that the only way that happens is if they will be immersed in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. If they will abide in him continually and understand that everything that they have is from God, everything that they're doing is about God, all that they have, all their mindset, all their thought process, everything that they have is God-centered. I mean, when we get that, when we get that understanding, it's, it's life-changing. When everything that we are and everything that we do is God, it's about God. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not into this, well, God told me to do this. I mean, but I, I believe that God gives us a heart that when we respond and we are, are led by the Spirit of God, that God will, will put things together for us and use us in a fruitful way that will be life-changing for us and for the people that he brings into our life. So he equips his disciples. So when we're God-centered, it impacts people's lives because he's going to bring people to us that we're going to be able to strengthen, minister to, and equip. And he also says in verse 13, he starts talking about not only did he, did he equip his disciples, but he sent them out to the world. So again, it's not just us sitting being comfortable. It's us being empowered by God to be used by God to do what God wants to do. And so when we start looking at verse 13 through 19, it says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world 
so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to take them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also might be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus' purpose, what Jesus has accomplished, was to go into the world and save the lost, right? I mean, isn't that that his whole purpose? When Jesus says that... um, that I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world. Um, there's got to be some place where he talks about the joy. <laughs> Verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Isn't that exciting? Jesus said that in John 15 too. He says, I pray that they may have my joy, and that, my, that their joy may be made full. See, when we have the joy of Christ, our joy is made full. So, so then he says that they would have my joy. And then he goes on in the very next verse and he says, I have given them your word and the world hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. So his joy in us is to be hated by the world? No, that doesn't sound very much fun. You know, in, in um, Hebrews, you don't need to turn to it, I cheated. In Hebrews it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So, we're tangled up in the world, right? It's so easy for us to get immersed in the world. And he's saying, get untangled. You can't run a race if you're all tangled up. So you've got to get everything untangled. All the sin and stuff that just entangles us. And, and, and how do we do that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? The understanding was that he came to the cross. He, well, his joy wasn't in coming and, and suffering. His joy was in the fact that what he was doing was accomplishing God's purposes and he was bringing salvation to a lost world. And by the way, he was going to forever conquer sin and forever conquer death. That's pretty good stuff, right? Can you get excited about that? That's what we get excited about. That's the joy that we have. It's not in the process. The process is, is, is the means to the end. And so often, when we get caught up in the world, as we see the process at end in itself, and there's nothing joyful about the process. The joy is the fact that God allows us to be a part of His perfect plan to accomplish an eternal reality, an eternal end product. That's the joy that we can have. And if we understand that, our joy became, is made full. That's why the apostles could rejoice in being tortured or whipped or beaten for Christ's name. That's why Stephen, when he's getting stoned, stands up and says, I see God sitting on a throne. It was the joy that was before him, not the experience he was going through. If we get caught up in the flesh and in the world, we start looking at our experiences and we measure our joy based on our experiences, not based on God's purposes and God's call for our life. It's a much different lifestyle. It is so freeing when we understand what we're being sent to and and what God's purpose is for us. We're going into the world to be a light in the midst of darkness. And by the way, the darker it is, the more the light shines. And we grumble when it gets too dark, and God's going, this is perfect. I'm going to allow you to shine the brightest during this time. So he sends them out so they could be people who shine brightly. And he says, I sanctify myself so that I could sanctify them. I am set set apart in the world I'm not, in, I'm not of the world, I'm in the world. I'm set apart spiritually so I can be a light in the midst of the world. And I set them apart so they can be in the world but not of the world. So they can be in the world and not immersed in the world. Does that make sense? So as we're in the world and as He sends us, He sanctifies us, He sets us apart so we're not immersed in the world but we're immersed in His truth. And so we get to be immersed in His truth and then we get to go out and be a part of how He wants to use us in the world so that we don't become of the world. 
And then lastly, as, as we look at the last part of the, of the passage, and it's really, it's all about what God is doing. And if we understand that God is God and we're not, and we want more than anything to have what God wants for us and to be a part of God's plan and not continually try to make God a part of our plan, life just becomes so much more joyful. And so he says, that as he kind of finishes up the, the chapter, he starts praying about the disciples and that they would experience his love and that they would have the unity uh, and love for each other because of their understanding and experience of God's love. So starting in like verse 20, it says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but those also who believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me will, uh, will be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, so that you, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you yet, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. The, the key of being a people who are abiding in Christ is that we, we know his love and his love is, is empowering us. So a couple things that um, I think are really um, pretty exciting about this is that, that Jesus understands that when we are plugged into him and we are abiding in him, that we are unified together as a body. Here's the thing, and if you read 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, some of those things, is that God has created us uniquely us. And this is powerful. Because if we aren't happy with how God created us because we weren't created like somebody else or we weren't given you know, the, the looks or the ability or the talents or the height or all that stuff of somebody else, then we don't understand how perfect God is. And God has put people together with their unique gifts, their unique abilities, their unique talents so that spiritually we can come together. And as we come together as a body, we more completely reflect Christ. There are qualities that I have that, 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 that um, are, are qualities that reflect Christ, but there's qualities that Steve has or that Robert has that reflect Christ much differently. But when the three of us come together, all three of those qualities come together, which gives a more perfect reflect, reflection of Jesus. And when a hundred of us come together, we have a more perfect reflection of Jesus as we come together. Sunday morning isn't about us coming and seeing what we can get out of a worship service. It's us coming and glorifying God corporately. God manifests himself together as we come together corporately in ways he doesn't do individually. You know, I could, I could sit at my desk and sing that last song we sang, and it wouldn't be nearly as good as it was this morning. <laughs> Not nearly. I mean, it, you can ask Marge. <laughs> it, it would just be missing some stuff. It's because God brings our gifts together and allows us to worship and experience Him in ways we can't do alone. And the, the, the spiritual battle that is, that is waged against us to keep us from having a relationship with God, to keep us from being with God and growing in our relationship with God, to keep us from being here on Sunday morning and growing in our relationship with God, to keep us from being with His body so that we could come together and grow in our relationship with God. And the things that we place as a higher priority to stay home on Sunday to do whatever fill in the blank. Rather than coming and being somebody who experiences the presence of God corporately, we're missing what's valuable and what's important in life. We are totally missing the treasures that we have. That field that we're going up and digging up a treasure and we're going, that's an important treasure, but UCLA's plan. I mean, come on. Or, you know, people are coming over, I have to clean the house. Or, you know, I just had a hard week and I'm tired. I mean, we have a bunch of reasons why this is not a good time for us. 
And the enemy is very good at convincing us those are really good reasons why we should stay home. Music's too loud. Music's not loud enough. The air conditioner's too cold. It's not cold enough. The guy sitting in front of me is too tall. The person sitting next to me doesn't sing right. Doug's boring. Not Dave. But Doug <laughs> might be. You know, we have reasons why we don't come and, are, and be unified. It says that they would be perfected in unity. See, when we come in the love of God and we come in all of our gifts meshed together, we become perfected in unity. What a great thing so that we can experience his love and we could experience his love more fully. And it's interesting, in verse 24, he said, um, and we'll wrap this up. He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Wouldn't that be incredible to go where he is and see his glory? Do you think that would change how we behave here a little bit? Man, it would change us radically. And you know what was exciting? I was thinking about that. I was going, man, what would that be like just to experience his glory? And I thought, oh, you know what? Jesus snuck John in. You know that? It's pretty cool. Let's read that. Uh, he says, you know what? Most of the guys you know, are going to have to get to me the normal way, but I'm going to sneak John in. Let's go to Revelations 1. This is really cool. In Revelations 1, John is on Patmos, if you know the, the book. So he's, he gets exiled there. They're trying to kill him all kinds of ways. They boil him in oil. That doesn't work. I mean, they, they're trying to get rid of him, so they get him on this island off by himself. Um, and he writes this book. But anyways, verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom of perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, where the word of God and the testimony, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So because he was preaching the word, he was persecuted. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he names the seven churches. Then in verse 12, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of mighty waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And then John did something he had never done in all the times he was with Jesus. John was with Jesus three years, right? Three years. And all the Gospels show me one place where John did this. And it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. <laughs> Do you see anywhere that he did that in the Gospels? No, because Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Now Jesus is manifested in his glory, and John sees that, and he goes, oh! <laughs> Man, that's our God. And then Jesus, um, he says, he says um, when, I, I, when I saw my fellows feel like a dead man, he placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And they have the keys of death and Hades, man. I'm the man. He, he snuck them in. Hey, and he just snuck us in. Okay? We, we got it. This is the glorified Jesus. This is the guy that wants you to serve him. This is the guy that wants you to abide in him. Is he worth it? I mean, is it valuable enough? I mean, we'll go up and live in the snow to get some gold. Will, will we abide in Christ to experience a relationship like this? I tell you, it's the most valuable thing that we can do. Life is so critical for us. And, and I tell you, we can't. But when we abide in Christ, He can. And I want to close with a passage. Because I really want us to internalize this. Because I'm telling you, there's nothing more important that we can take out of here than that we would commit ourselves to being a people who realize that if we abide in Christ and His Word abides in us, that we will bear much fruit. And it's eternal fruit. And people will see it manifested in us. 
Paul says this in Galatians 5. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So the flesh wants us to be immersed in the flesh. The flesh wants us to be immersed in the world. The flesh wants us to have this, this, this whole thought process and life and everything around things of the world. And the, and the Spirit says, I want you to be immersed in Christ. I want you to abide in Christ. I want you to have all that Christ has for you. And so he says, these, these are in opposition with one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship. It's about the Spirit of God bringing you into a powerful relationship with the living, powerful God. And then he says this. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. So if you are immersed in the flesh, this might be some of the ways you might find yourself behaving. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. And then in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, love. So, so when you're in situations, do you find yourself loving or do you find yourself judging? Do you find yourself loving or do you find yourself complaining about that person? Do you find yourself loving or do you find yourself frustrated? Joy. Do you find yourself with joy about what's going on in your life or do you find yourself discouraged about what's going on in life? Peace. Do you have peace? Patience. Ha. So that's one thing you never pray for, right? But man, when we're full of the Spirit and the patience that we have to love people, to be patient with what God's doing. See, we can be patient when we know that it's God who's doing it. We don't have patience when we think it's us, when we think it's our circumstances, when we think it's the world around us. It's a totally different mindset. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Do you find yourself fighting at home or gentle at home? Do you find yourself faithful to love your spouse or frustrated with your spouse? I'm telling you guys, this is the difference between abiding in Christ and abiding in the world. This is the difference between being immersed in Jesus relationally, not about rules, regulations, and stuff like that. This is about a relationship with the living God that transforms us from the inside out, and we begin to be different people reflecting Jesus not acting differently. We can't do that. We become different. Jesus does that. Self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Boy, I tell you, if we get our arms around this, there's nothing that God won't do in this body of Christ. But it's Him doing it. Everything that we have is from Him. Everything that we are is from Him. All that occurs in our lives is about Him. We are all encompassed, obsessed with who Jesus is. When that's a reality, we are going to be people who will love God in a way that we've never loved Him before. We will be people united in unity here, perfected in unity, loving each other in a way that that's never happened before. And then we will be out loving people in the community in a way that we never realized because He's going to be equipping us and then bringing people to us and giving us exactly what they need to hear. And that is going to be world-changing. When we look at it from the worldly point of view, we can't do that. If we look at it from God's point of view, man, He can't wait to do that. It's all up to us. Are you guys in with this? Okay, let's abide in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You are the living God. You're all-powerful. You're perfect. 